It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 372 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Potpourri. It is August 12, 2022, and this is Jen. I decided to call this one Potpourri because it's the best definition of a mix of stuff that kind of goes together, but maybe not entirely. The Merriam-Webster definition of it which i had to look up it's got two definitions um and the second one is a miscellaneous collection so that's what this is today a miscellaneous collection of stuff i'm gonna start off with some of some mention of some of the different conferences that are going on or will be going on so there is um a person person on twitter going by jess and I'll leave the ad out because I don't want everyone bothering people about this because this does mention COVID. Uh, so Jess wrote, Admin in the Gen Con community server has asked that anyone who attended Gen Con Indy is now positive for COVID-19. Send an email to customer service at GenCon.com for contact tracing. And then we have another guy on Twitter named Dr. Neuro, who is, in fact, a neuroinfectious disease specialist slash epidemiologist and um, has worked for Global Health and Pandemic Response Technical Advisor for CDC. Doesn't work for the CDC, but advises. And this is what he had to say. Hi all, a small PSA from your infectious disease guy. If you are at Gen Con or any conventions for the foreseeable future, it's possible you will test positive for COVID. BA4 and BA5 does not play around, even with the best safety measures. So what now? One, communicate to others that you have been in contact with the past few days, uh, that you have been in contact with the past few days, especially if you do not know when exposure happened. This is important so that others know when they should test. When rapid testing, wait three to four days after exposure. Two, do not shame people for attending these events. That does nothing. Most of the folks I have chatted with have done their due diligence in masking and doing their best to be safe. Shaming others solves nothing except make you look like an asshole when you don't know the story. Three, isolate as quickly as possible once you test positive. If you have symptoms, don't just assume it's just allergies. Play it safe and test. Test is in all caps. Please do not risk the chance that you have COVID and walk around giving it to others. Symptoms of cold slash allergies are very similar. Four, if you have been vaccinated slash boosted, trust that you will be fine, but as always, monitor symptoms. If things become severe, i.e. you have difficulty breathing, go to an emergency room and do not wait. Five, if you are eligible and have tested early enough, please consider locating the nearest provider to get antiviral treatments. I'm not sure exactly what ones they're talking about there. And as always, says Dr. Neuro, if you do plan to go to a convention slash large-scale meeting, understand there is no such thing as zero risk. Do your best to mitigate these risks. If you are a content creator slash attending these cons, please review this guide. He's got another guide. This thread is not comprehensive. The Google Doc in the previous tweet should provide more details. In general, play it safe. Mask up if you do think you're COVID positive and understand your resources. If you got questions, you can DM this guy. And then we have Twitch. Twitch has a TwitchCon coming up and they tweeted 
a health measures update. I think in the previous episode, I talked about how they were just going to say, yeah, we don't care if you have COVID. We don't want to test you. We don't know if you're vaccinated. We don't give a damn about it. Wear a mask or don't, whatever. And then a lot of people pushed back on this. So here's the tweet that Twitch wrote. We've heard from many of you that you want a safer TwitchCon. So we're updating our policy. Masks will be required indoors, as well as either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. Let's make the ultimate squad up safe and accessible for everyone. And then they have added on to their original posting about TwitchCon San Diego tickets are on sale. And that's where they were talking about, um, you know, who's coming and all of this stuff. They didn't really uh, say a lot about keeping people safe from COVID, but they have now. It was updated today, the 12th of August. They wrote this, we've been listening to all of your feedback and know that many of you, especially those who are immunocompromised and the people who support them, want stricter health measures in place to help you feel safe attending TwitchCon in San Diego in person. We agree that we can do more to help keep people safe and have been evaluating the best way to make it work. Today, we're updating our health measures to require masks in all indoor spaces at TwitchCon. Additionally, we will require all attendees to provide proof of vaccination or proof of a negative COVID test taken within 72 hours of attending the show. Masks will not be required in outdoor spaces such as Kappa Cabana, the TwitchCon party, waiting in line outside, etc. Oh, there it went. Right. You got to wait in line outside with a bunch of people and people aren't wearing masks. All their COVID stuff just went right out, you know. To continue, they wrote, We want TwitchCon to be a place where our entire community can come together and celebrate each other. It should be an inclusive event for everyone, and that means taking steps to ensure as many people as possible feel comfortable with the safety precautions we're taking. We recognize that some of you will be disappointed by these new health measures, but we believe these additional requirements will make it possible for more members of our community to safely attend TwitchCon. If you aren't comfortable with these, here are some directions on how to get your money back for the tickets and that kind of stuff. There's also um, Gamescom 2022 that Xbox is going to be at. And, okay, their consumer show opening times are going to be August 25th, 10 a.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. CEST. They're going to be there the 26th, 27th, and 28th of August. And the weekend dates are a little bit shorter, or a little bit Actually, they're actually a little bit better. They start at 9 instead of 10. So here's what they're doing. So they're going to be in Cologne, Germany, which is where Gamescom 2022 is going to be. And they're going to hang out in person with the community for the first time since 2019. Because Xbox apparently didn't go anywhere previous because COVID, I assume. Um, So here's what they're going to do. They have a booth. They're going to be in Hall 8. They will feature 36 stations with a fantastic lineup of content coming to Xbox in the next 12 months, many of which will arrive on Game Pass on day one. For those attending in person, you'll be able to go hands-on with some of the latest games and updates from Xbox Game Studios, including Pentiment from Obsidian Entertainment and Xbox Studios, um, Age of Empires 4, Relic Entertainment, Microsoft Flight Simulator from Azobo Studio, Sea of Thieves from Rare Games, and Grounded by Obsidian Entertainment. They also have some third-party partners, too, in there, and there's uh, a Plague Tale Requiem, there's a Disney Dreamlight Valley, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Um, Visitors to the booth will also be able to get a hands-on with the new Xbox app on the latest 2022 Smart Sung Smart TV, part of uh, Xbox's mission to empower everyone to play games they want with the people they want, anywhere they want. And then they've got some photo opportunities and cool stuff like that going on. Xbox remains committed to the belief that gaming should be safe, inclusive, and accessible for all. 
That's why we're ensuring, Xbox is ensuring, that Xbox adaptive controllers will be available on request and all areas of the booth will be wheelchair accessible. Additionally, easily identifiable American Sign Language, British Sign Language, and German Sign Language interpreters, as well as here to help staff, will be able to assist players of all abilities. I want to see this kind of thing at every con, you know, once we get through all the COVID stuff, if we ever do, because that'd be great. You know, I, I think gaming should be for everyone. I think many of you listening probably think that too. And if you can make things adaptable for people that need these kinds of adaptabilities to be present in order to play the games, that's a good thing. That's always going to be a good thing. So, um, yeah, so there's that stuff. They've got a live stream they're going to do with a bunch of games. Um, there's after-hour events and whatnot. So if you're going to that, there's a lot of stuff to do. This does not say anything at all about COVID uh, mitigations. I guess I'd have to go look up Gamescom and hope it's in a language I can read to see if that's something that's going to be safe for people. I don't know. But that's, like, all the cons that are going on right now. Anyway, moving on from Xbox at Gamescom, we have a couple of articles here about Microsoft, basically. And so one's from a site called Charlie Intel. I know they have a Twitter account that kind of tells you about like what's going on with gaming and stuff like that. And so this is their article, and it's written by Liam McKay. And it's titled, Microsoft Explain Why Call of Duty Will Stay on PlayStation After Xbox Exclusivity Rumors. So here's a little bit from that article. Uh, Microsoft announced their shock buyout of Activision Blizzard back in January 2022, with the deal set to close in summer of 2023. While Microsoft previously stated there are no plans to make Call of Duty Xbox and PC exclusive, Sony still expressed concern. As reported by VGC, which is probably another site, I'm not familiar with that one, I think. Maybe I've read before, but I don't. it's not one I know easily. Uh, Microsoft responded to these concerns in a document sent to Brazil's Administrative Council for Economic Defense. It's an acronym K-C-A-D-E. Here they accused Sony of blocking games from Xbox Game Pass and reiterated that it wouldn't be profitable to remove Call of Duty from PlayStation. Microsoft acquired Bethesda back in 2021 and have already started making their games such as Starfield, Xbox, and PC exclusive. However, in this document, Microsoft insisted that Sony shouldn't worry about Call of Duty being removed from PlayStation. Quote, regardless of how unsurprising Sony's criticism of content exclu- exclusivity is, given that PlayStation's entire strategy has been centered on exclusivity over the years, the reality is that the strategy of retaining Activision Blizzard's games by not disturbing them in rival console shops would simply not be profitable for Microsoft, claimed Microsoft. Microsoft gave several reasons why they wouldn't remove Call of Duty games from PlayStation, but it all boiled down to profit. So that's from them. And then you have The Verge who wrote a similar article that said, Microsoft claims Sony pays for, quote, blocking rights, end quote, to keep games off Xbox Game Pass. Uh, So here's a little bit about that. Uh, This one's written by Tom Warren. Microsoft has claimed Sony pays for, quote, blocking rights, end quote, to stop developers from adding their content to Xbox Game Pass. The explosive claims are part of word are, are part of documents, and there's a word doc linked here I have not looked at, uh, filed with Brazil's National Competition Regulator and part of a review of Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. 
Uh, quote, Microsoft's ability to continue expanding Game Pass has been hampered by Sony's desire to inhibit such growth, claims Microsoft in an August 9th filing to the Administrative Council for Economic Defense. That's Cade, as translated from Portuguese. I don't really read Portuguese very well, so I'm glad they translated. Uh, Sony pays for blocking rights to prevent developers from adding content to Game Pass and to other competing subscription services. So The Verge asks, does this mean Sony is evil and Microsoft is casually out here revealing some dastardly business practices? The reality is likely a little more complicated on both sides. Sony could simply be paying for exclusive rights for its own streaming services, or it may have clauses in some publishing contracts that prevent some games it publishes from being published on rival subscription services. It's not clear exactly what Microsoft is referring to here, but contracts for publishing games can be complex, particularly when rights for streaming and subscription services are involved. And it just kind of goes on from here. Microsoft is attempting to convince Brazil's Cade regulator that it should wave through the company's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, while the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, that's the United States, is analyzing documents from Microsoft on its acquisition in the U.S. That correspondence is private. That's not the case in Brazil, where its competition regulator offers up public documents that provide unique insight into the business competition between Microsoft and Sony. And it goes on a little bit from there. There's a tweet from Code CWA, which is the campaign to organize digital employees in tech. And they wrote this in a tweet on August 10th. Some news. We have officially crossed over 3,000 tech game and digital worker members in the CWA union with over 25 units and counting. We look forward to helping another plus 3000 interactive and tech workers across the country organize for better working conditions onward. And um, GWA is in there. The looks like the New York times guild is in there. A whole bunch of different ones. They're, they're kind of tiny and I don't really want to blow this up bigger that would slow things down, but you can see it. I put everything I talk about on the show into the show notes at shatteredsoulstone.com for every episode. And speaking of unions, the Washington Post wrote an article titled Activision Blizzard is using, quote, Diablo 4, end quote, to argue against unions. And they have this lovely image here of Lilith. It's all in shadow. It's this, it's basically the statue you've seen before with her arms, you know, outstretched and all that and the wings and the, the horns and the whole thing. And a bunch of little like they're blank, but they're like protest signs, you know, kind of thing in front of her and so she's like holding her arms out like what the fuck is this right so um that's what she's doing um some some of these like the verge and washington post sometimes get just amazingly interesting headers put together for their in the art for their articles it's just really neat so here's a little bit from this article Video game publisher Activision Blizzard's lawyers and employees were back in front of the National Labor Relations Board this week. This was written on, that might matter, um, August 12th, arguing over who should get to vote on a potential Blizzard Albany union. Activision Blizzard's lawyers have framed much of their argument in the Blizzard Albany hearing around the highly anticipated upcoming Blizzard game Diablo 4. At stake in the hearing is which Blizzard Albany workers will be able to participate in a unionization vote. Speaking at a virtual hearing over the video conference platform Zoom, the company's lawyer stated that the position that anyone at the Blizzard Albany studio working on Diablo games should get a vote. Meanwhile, employees' counsel asked for a group of 20 quality assurance testers to constitute the bargaining unit. The testers at Blizzard Albany seek to unionize to bargain for improved working conditions and higher wages, which seems fair everyone should have improved working conditions and higher wages. 
So here's a little bit more from this article. Quote, I think it is very cut and dry, said a current Blizzard Albany quality assurance tester speaking on the condition of anonymity, referencing a document lawyers showed of employee salaries and hourly wages. Quote, it's obvious that QA is a valid unit. Activision Blizzard introduced the pay bans, which indicate that we are the lowest paid members of the studio by a long shot. Quality assurance testers at Blizzard Albany are paid between $33,000 and $53,000 a year annually. Well, annually a year. Yeah, same. Um, I added in the year because I didn't see the word coming up. According to a document shared by the QA testers lawyers during this week's hearing, the group of 20 quality assurance testers at Albany, New York-based studio requested recognition of a union in July, but management did not voluntarily recognize them. And there's a quote here from a former chairman of the National Labor Relations Board under former President Barack Obama. This person is named Wilma Liebman, who said the instinct to delay unionization efforts is always there on the part of employers. The reasons for wanting the delay may be manifold, including not only the obvious delay what may be inevitable, but for possible transactional reasons with Microsoft. And again, we know Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard. Uh, Activision Blizzard wants to increase the eligible voting group for a union election at Blizzard Albany, arguing that additional, but not all, workers in the studio should be included. Quote, we believe all our employees should have the right to choose whether or not to join a union in a fair and confidential vote, Activision Blizzard spokesman Rich George said. Quote, given our tightly integrated Albany operations, we believe strongly that no employee should be disenfranchised and that creativity and inspiration and the free exchange of ideas work best when all non-supervisory employees in Albany working on Diablo get to participate in the vote, not just 20 quality assurance testers identified by the union. Increasing the size of the voting could dilute the voting power of the 20 QA testers, labor lawyers say, potentially causing the unionization vote to fail. We've heard this before when they had Raven Studios and they only wanted the Raven Studios uh, QA people that they hadn't already fired unsummarily with, you know, in winter after making people move into the state where that, you you know, that whole thing. Um, This is, this is, Blizzard, Activision Blizzard doing it again. So what happens is if you've got, you know, your 20 guys from this, or girls or non-binary people from this particular group that is now working on a Blizzard game, the idea is, well, that group should have a vote. There they are. But if you are the big company who hates unions, apparently, then you're going to want to screw this up by pushing in many other workers that don't work for Blizzard Albany so that maybe the other workers could be convinced to say, no, you don't get to have a union. They might be able to pick and choose people who seem to not be so interested in unionizing if there are any there that they can tell. So adding more people to a group that's already one tight unit uh, that's in another location altogether while working on stuff for Blizzard, uh, that could be... Activision Blizzard's way of trying to kill off this unionization attempt. And I think Activision Blizzard is going to lose because they lost with Raven Studios. So they're going to lose this one as well. And there's more to this article and I'll leave it to you to read the rest of it if you like. They have a nice description of the Diablo 4 game. We know what it is, right? So that's fine. So part of this article, though, was about Diablo 4. 
that they were kind of like pushing away the union because of Diablo 4. So, yeah, uh, while Council for Management has revisited many of the arguments it used against Raven Software Quality Assurance Testers, there's one notable difference. As part of an opening speech, Reed Smith lawyers representing Activision Blizzard played a Diablo 4 trailer to explain what the company does. When the video began, a voice overstated the game was not for the faint of heart, which was both gory and creepy. Meaning the game, maybe not the voiceover. How are we going to put this into the record, said Ruth, or asked Ruth Basan the National Labor Relations Board hearing officer overseeing the Monday meeting. Reed Smith lawyer James Polk responded by spelling out the YouTube link for the court reporter using a series of letters and symbols. The upcoming, you know, we know what Diablo 4 is. Um, one document described feedback given by gamers on Diablo 4, including one person saying the game was difficult, but not in a fun way, as retrieving gear from one's own dead body after dying was tough. Have they never played a Diablo game? I mean, Diablo 2, you die, you try to go get the gear from your body, you know. Um, Diablo 3, you die. If you're hardcore, that's it, it's gone. If you're playing softcore, you can... I think you still keep the loot, but you're, like, really beat up and need a lot of gold to fix it. Like, did they not know what this is? I mean... Okay, sure. Um, you know. Anyway, there's a quote in here from a current Blizzard Albany employee who was speaking on the condition of anonymity. Said, It is darkly ironic that if an employee wants to be able to update their, their portfolio or do something that might help them find better employment elsewhere, they have to wait until the game is released, said the Blizzard Albany employee. Um, but when the company wants to argue against what the majority of employees in a given unit have stated is in their best interest and what they want, it's totally fine for them to just share stuff. A list of quality assurance testers working on Diablo 4 was also publicized in the hearing, as were the cover letter, LinkedIn, and social media account of a quality assurance tester. I don't know if that was acceptable or not. Uh, while quality assurance testers are usually recognized in a game's credits, along with thousands of others who helped create the game, the singling out of the testers and public disclosure of the QA testers' information angered some employees concerned with online harassment. And it just goes on and on from here. So uh, that's where that's at. And um, on Monday, employees across Activision Blizzard executed a protest during the virtual hearing, with several dozen workers attending the Zoom hearing with their pictures saying, ABK, stop you union busting or changing their display name to stop union busting which irked activision blizzard's lawyers uh polk the reed smith lawyer objected to the protesters calling them potentially disruptive and asking that the nlrb remove those images and have people change their names in response the board hearing officer basante said the virtual hearing was akin to an in-person one where anyone could attend and those in attendance wouldn't know others names on site basante's then allowed protesters to rename themselves to guest which allowed more than one activision blizzard employee to read join the meeting without worrying about their employer noting their real names. And it kind of goes on from there. Um, but yeah, it's just more Blizzard shenanigans. They'll do anything to not uh, allow people to have a union and not have a good workplace. And that's that's just who they are, who the people in charge of things are. Speaking of uh, nasty things happening at Activision Blizzard, you may have heard this. This is an article from Polygon. And there was... Uh, <laughs> Okay, here's the title of this article. It was printed on July 29, which is a little bit back, but I didn't see it then. Okay, so Call of Duty Warzone's floofy dog skin removed after plagiarism accusation. Activision apologizes for loyal Samoid cosmetics. So there's this, like, it's a Samoid. It's a dog. 
and it's like a big furry dog, and it's um, standing upright and shooting a gun at something, okay? So that's what this is, and um, it's not their art, actually. Someone stole it, so here's a little bit about that. Activision's latest update for Call of Duty Warzone will bring the Terminator, both Arnold Schwarzenegger's T-800 and Robert Patrick's T-1000, to the Battle Royale-style shooter. Also coming to Season 4 of Warzone is everyone's favorite giant floofy dog breed, the Samoid, thanks to a new skin for Call of Duty operator... uh, Kim Tae-young. Scoring headshots as a Samoid should be a cause for celebration, but an, author, an, an artist says that the loyal Samoid skin for Call of Duty Warzone was plagiarized and based on a concept they created independently more than two years ago. Following that allegation, it appears that Call of Duty Warzone developer Raven Software has removed images referencing the loyal Samoid cosmetics from its website. The original version of Raven's blog about Warzone Season 4 included two images of the Samoid. The current version has replaced those images. Concept artist Sail, S-A-I-L, Lynn, two words, uh, uploaded artwork of their character Samoy Medical to the website ArtStation in December of 2019. On Friday, the artist took to Twitter saying that Activision and Raven Software plagiarized that piece of work without contacting them and without compensation. And there's a tweet from Salen that has, you know, all the stuff there where there's their work, here's where it's at, and there it is in Activision stuff without being asked. So this person wrote, even though I am a a COD player, I'm very disappointed to see my work being plagiarized by a big company like Activision in this way. The artist wrote, I've reached out to Activision for an explanation and or compensation, and hopefully the situation will be settled soon. As an individual artist, I can only do so much, and I have to speak out about this to stop things like this happening again in the future. They cited a video from the channel, the COD inspector, that shows that skin alongside the Terminator ones and some other ones and stuff like that. It's not clear yet how Raven and Activision plan to address the allegation other than to currently downplay promotion of the Floof Furry Tracer pack. A tweet from Raven's Twitter account from Wednesday said feature the, that features the Samoid skin is still up at the time of this writing, and the developer has not publicly addressed the allegation. And then there's an update from August 5th. Activision says it has removed the loyal Samoid cosmetics from Call of Duty Warzone and Call of Duty Vanguard and has apologized. They did write an apology here, but I think you owe that person money at this point, because that's their work and this is like i i'm an artist i don't do digital art i do it by hand because i'm old school and it just works best for me so i don't put my artwork on social media or any of those like you know places where people put their art i have a private account on instagram where i put art and i only let my friends see it because i don't want anyone making it into an nft or you know putting it in their video game so i mean it sucks that this happened to this artist and I really hope they get compensation, like financial compensation for that, because that just was not right at all. There's a couple little articles here about Overwatch. Uh, the main idea is that Blizzard will stop selling Overwatch loot boxes in August. Um, there's an Overwatch Anniversary Volume 3 event, and that will be the end of the controversial monetization, says uh, Polygon again, actually. So that's what this is. I don't know if you're playing that or not, but this is going to be the end of those. I'll read you a paragraph from it. Overwatch's latest anniversary remix event, the game's third and final such event, kicks off Tuesday, giving seasoned fans of Blizzard's Hero Shooter another batch of skins and a chance to revisit limited-time game modes. The Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 3 event will also bring about the end of loot box sales in the game. Blizzard said that when the current event ends on August 30, players will no longer be able to purchase loot boxes. Players will still be able to earn standard loot boxes through gameplay after the end of the event. So that's probably all you need to know with that. Um, There's more details about it in the article if you want to know exactly what's in the loot boxes or that sort of thing. 
And then IGN also wrote about the same thing, and it says that the announcement was quietly mentioned in a blog post about the Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 3 event. The company confirmed that loot boxes would no longer be available for sale come August 30th. However, the post notes that you'll still be able to earn standard loot boxes after the Remix event. So earning earning a loot box is different from paying for a loot box, even if it's in-game currency, you know, I think it's different because if you're earning it, it's kind of like you've done, you know, this amount of quests or you've done this amount of, I don't know, shooting certain enemies or whatever the game may be, it, whatever the game is. And so here is your reward, one of these boxes that has some good stuff in it. You know, there's some of that in Diablo Immortal. There was a whole lot of you got to pay for it with real world money before that, but I'm not seeing as much of that now. But basically, yeah. So loot boxes, yeah, those are going away. Those are going away in um, in Overwatch. And I don't actually know if they're going to have loot boxes in Overwatch 2, but if they're getting rid of it in... I don't know if they're going to have them in Overwatch 2, but they're definitely taking them out of the original Overwatch soon. There's a little bit to talk about with um, World of Warcraft stuff, and there was a post on the WoW Classic part of the Blizzard forums on August 9th saying that the Burning Crusade Classic Realm consolidation is coming on August 9th. So if you are still playing World of Warcraft and you are playing on Burning Crusade, or maybe you've abandoned your character there at some point for whatever reason, you may be uh, pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised to learn that you could be on a different server than the one you started on. So there's a whole list here and you can look to see what realm you're on and where you're going to end up and this kind of stuff. So uh, that's, you know, probably for not a huge group of people listening to this show, but some of you might be playing that. I mean, I have not played the Burning Crusade Classic. I played Burning Crusade back in the day, and I'll, I'll get there eventually maybe, but... Anyway, that's just something to know. And then there's a thing called the Auction House Joins the WoW Companion app. This is on a World of Warcraft post by Blizzard on their website. They're talking about this. This was posted yesterday on August 11th, and it says it's been some time since the Auction House was available to mobile users, but the time has come for its return. With the 9.2.7 patch, it becomes a part of the WoW Companion app. I don't know what the WoW Companion app is, but I guess it's going to be part of that. Um, They've got a little bit of history here. Uh, It's kind of interesting. I'll read you a paragraph. The remote auction house was once part of the WoW Armory app released in 2011 and retired in 2018. Due to the way this app was built, there were times in which individuals would abuse the architecture of the app, often causing a disruption to the player economy and even in some cases causing in-game latency. This was largely due to the number of queries that could flood the auction house, resulting in strained servers as they attempted to manage the larger load. While there were ways that we could and did mitigate the effect, the ongoing negative impact from those who sought to exploit the system outweighed continuing to support ongoing development. In light of the change in direction, we moved to, on to the development of the current WoW Companion app, and there's a link in this article if you want to see that specifically, uh, which provides a more secure experience, more in line with the types of activities your character takes on when you log in to play the game today. And it's uh, for modern times, apparently. In our previous engineers workshop covering the development of the WoW Companion app, we delved into the intricacies of creating a system simultaneously for both mobile and PC platforms. The biggest hurdle in implementing new features was structuring the necessary frameworks 
to support the feature. Many of these frameworks were written over the 17 plus years of history of World of Warcraft during a time when mobile wasn't a consideration. This leads to additional work to modernize systems to support both a PC and mobile experience. In addition, data delivery methods and restrictions look different on PC and mobile. While a system may serve the same set of data to both, extra care must be taken to minimize what if sent to mobile to limit what the player needs to download. For a feature as large as the auction house, there were and are many additional frameworks that need to be carefully modernized to support both experiences. So they're developing it for now. And so what you can do on this thing with the WoW Companion app update, players will be able to browse and view current auctions, bid and buy out auctions, search for auctions, add and remove items from your favorites lists, and view and cancel your listed auctions. And it's got some little screenshots here of what that would look like like how you would search it and this kind of thing. And I am not a person that's probably going to want to do this even if I start playing World of Warcraft again, which honestly I do not have time for this month at all whatsoever. I've got too many things going on. Thinking about, you know, the the WoW auction house and the app and all of this made me think of a former host of the show, Dead Greed, who really liked the auction house. And I'm wondering, I don't know, Dead Greed, if you're listening to this show anymore or not, but if you if you are, I bet you'd have a lot of fun with this auction house thing. I think you would uh, probably really enjoy that. Moving on, we have from WoWhead the Scourge Invasion event, the Wrath Classic pre-patch guide highlight. So it's a pre-patch. It's going to go live. Um, it's gone live already, apparently. And this is like, if you remember this from back in the day, it was the zombie invasion where your character gets turned into a zombie and you go you go around and infect people and all of this. And, you know, years ago, it was like kind of like this fun, you know, zombie thing where you could opt in to be a zombie or you could get turned into a zombie and you go try to get cured by someone. You know, that sort of thing. And I didn't even know it was happening back in the day. And a friend of mine, Medros, said, hey, there's a zombie invasion, knowing that I like creepy stuff like that. And so I went in and played as a zombie for a while. So I've, I've done it. You know, I've done it. It probably looks sharper now than it did back in the day. And um, the concept of going around and infecting people with a spell called You're Infected in today's world, kind of like, um, okay. You know, we have a lot of that in the real world. It's not as fun anymore. At least it wouldn't be for me. Um, and there's all this stuff that you can get and do and, and that kind of thing. So if you want to do that and you're in the uh, if you're in the event there, you can and the Wrath Classic, you can do that. There's another game that has to do with Blizzard and NetEase. Actually, this is on Bloomberg and it was written on August third. So you may have heard of it before, but if not, uh, the title of this is Blizzard NetEase, Blizzard comma NetEase, Scrap Warcraft Mobile Game After Financing Dispute. Companies said to disagree over financial terms for the title. The falling out raises questions about a longstanding tie-up. So here's a little bit from this article. Activision Blizzard Inc. and NetEase Inc. have torpedoed a World of Warcraft smartphone game that had been in development for three years, raising questions about one of the industry's most lucrative business relationships. NetEase has disbanded a team of more than 100 developers tasked with creating content for the title, only some of whom were offered internal transfers, people familiar with the matter said. The two companies disagreed over terms and ultimately called a halt to the project, which has been kept under wraps. A person familiar with the deal said, asking not to be identified, discussing private information. The day after the story was published, a spokesperson for Activision said there had not been a financial disagreement between the two companies. Quote, we continue 
continue to have an extremely successful relationship with NetEase, and it is entirely untrue to suggest that there have been financial disputes, the spokesperson said in a statement. The spokesperson for NetEase declined to comment. The decision casts uncertainty over Blizzard's partnership with China's number two gaming giant, which affords the U.S. studio a valuable window into the world's biggest mobile market. Hangzhou-based NetEase, I may have pronounced that wrong, publishes World of Warcraft and other Blizzard franchises in the country and is also a co-creator on the recently released Diablo Immortal, which is on track to become a commercial success despite criticism about its in-game purchases, says Bloomberg. The now-canceled title, codenamed Neptune, was envisioned as a massively multiplayer online role-playing game set in the same universe as World of Warcraft. It wouldn't be a direct translation of the popular game, but a spin-off set in a different time. So... There we are. You know, that's gone. And then there's this weird thing. There's this uh, website called The Record, which I've heard of before. And I'll read you the title and we'll go from there. Judge orders Waterloo business to name customers who doxed, comma, threatened Bungie employees. Innocent tweet online about online Destiny 2 game led to a terrifying campaign of death threats and doxing written by Gordon Paul on August 2nd. An innocent tweet about a widely popular online multiplayer game led to a terrifying real-life campaign of doxing and death threats against employees of game company Bungie, Inc. Two employees of Bungie, the American company behind Destiny 2, a first-person shooter with 40 million users, you probably all know that, uh, recently convinced an Ontario judge to order Waterloo-based TextNow, Inc. to name its customers who made, quote, racist and serious physical threats against them. TextNow offers users anonymous phone service. Oh, this is going to be difficult. On June 2nd, a Bungie employee in the U.S. tweeted an advertisement for Destiny 2 with two videos of a gamer who uses the online name uh, Amaze, I think. Uh, it's not spelled like you think. Uh, the ads called him a hero. Here's what Superior, Superior Court Justice Fred Meyer said in his recent ruling. Amaze is an African-American. He is well-known among those who play and watch Destiny 2 because he performs freestyle rap on live streaming platforms while he plays the game. On the day of the tweet, a campaign of doxing and using the internet to reveal private information about a person and threats began. An anonymous person tweeted to Bungie accountants a threat to kill employees on June 14. Quote, shortly after several employees of Bungie began receiving voicemails and text messages on personal unpublished telephone numbers, repeatedly using the racial slur, uh, you know what the racial slur is, the judge said. Um, the judge kind of said the N-word, uh, just N-word, you know what it is, but the judge pointed that out. That night, a person who called himself Brian left a voicemail on the personal telephone line of the employee who posted the ads. Brian referred to the employee by name and requested that Destiny, Destiny 2 provide a scene or a downloadable piece of the game, DLC, for N-word killing, the judge said. A few minutes later, he called back and identified himself as a member of a far-right-wing social network known to publish material that is censored from mainstream social media. Hmm, what could that be? There's a few. Uh, he repeated the request for an N-word killing DLC to be added to Destiny 2. Obviously, whoever Brian is, that's probably not his real name. There's something wrong with this guy, and he needs... Maybe some therapy would be a good choice, you know? If you get this mad over a funny tweet, or just a tweet in general, you need some help, bro. Okay, go seek it out, whatever. 
I don't know if you're going to find me, but I got nothing, right? Uh, the employee's spouse, who works for Bungie, also got a text requesting the DLC. One of them also got a voicemail saying, enjoy your pizza. And then they did the thing where you send multiple pizzas to someone's house and this sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, evidence showed a Destiny 2 gamer with the username Inkcell had been, also been making threats. He pictured Inkcell, uh, the judge said, tweeted a picture of the employee's Bungie staff ID card. He tweeted that he had moved to live 30 minutes from the employee. Oh, boy. This is bad. This is really bad. The judge said this. The similarity of the name Inkcell to the term Incel makes the threats more frightening to the employees as well, the judge said. We know what incel is probably. If not, look it up. It's very sad, misguided people um, who are generally led into that mindset by people who want to prey on them, actually. So anyway, it goes on from this. They feared, the employees feared the use of their home address could lead to a swatting. You know what a swatting is. Someone recently got swatted that I don't think they were, I don't know if they were part of this bungee thing or something else, but it seems like some people think it's funny to have Twitter, uh, to have Twitch uh, streamers be doxxed online or be swatted online and that's just dangerous as hell and don't do that people if you listen to the show and you think that's cool bye i don't really need that here i don't need that in the diablo community at all but that's where this went so that's what happens if you tweet something kind of amusing or you tweet about someone that someone is racist against for whatever reason um yeah, this sort of thing. Now, I don't know what happened to this guy that actually did the bad shit, but I'm hoping there is a legal consequence for that, you know? There should be. People shouldn't be able to harass over a stupid tweet, you know what I mean? In slightly better news, the Washington Post has an article called Sense Lawsuit, Riot Games Once All-Male Leadership, Now Over 20% Women, which is a step in the right direction. Um, I'll read a little bit from this. In August of 2018, Riot Games didn't have a chief diversity and inclusion officer, a team dedicated to diversity, nor any pay equity practices. Its leadership team was all men. After being sued in California in November of 2018 for gender-based discrimination and sexual harassment, sounds familiar, doesn't it? The, and settling the suit last December for $100 million, the League of Legends publisher released its third annual diversity report Wednesday, reflecting on the recent years of reform and active investment to hire more women and people of marginalized backgrounds. The company of over 3,000 workers now has a diversity and inclusion team of 10. Women comprise 21.5% of the leadership team and 25.8% of Riot Games overall. And so that's kind of a step in the right direction. There's a lot of stuff in here I'm going to skip over. Um, it seems it does mention Activision Blizzard and its own lawsuit and this kind of stuff and all the shenanigans I've already talked about over and over again. But if you want to hear more, everything's in the show notes. This one's from the Washington Post. It's not always easy to get a hold of that because it sometimes puts it behind a paywall, but that's kind of the main idea of that article. And perhaps the best news in this entire episode is that the Diablo podcast has started and it's episode one is called Welcome Back and it included H.C. Uh, Xanth, if I'm pronouncing that right, Nineball and Rush. And it was on a hiatus. It was on a break, but it's come back and the three of them did, it looks like possibly on Twitch. Uh, they talked about a bunch of stuff. You can listen to the audio if you want to. There's also a little video um, that you can watch. And well, I don't know if it's little they've got little notes at the bottom to show you when they talked about things related to diablo immortal diablo 2 resurrected diablo 3 diablo 4 and those tattoos that people were getting you know um that 
the Diablo account was pushing, you know, those kinds of things. I'm just thrilled whenever there is another Diablo podcast out there because the more the merrier. We're all one big community and I haven't listened to this yet because I've had too many things going on at once to make it succinct and I will definitely watch this and I've retweeted it on the Soulstone Twitter account uh, at Shattered Stone so you can check it out there you may already have checked it out there but I think this is awesome and I hope they keep going because we need more Diablo in our life right of course we do speaking of which there was an update to the Diablo Immortal mini update thing and some of the stuff in here is new there's a the season three battle pass is going on it's got those shiny little angelic looking armor I guess there's a Wrathborn invasion daily event that's happening with this like huge giant boss creature. There is a still a hungering moon limited time event going on. I thought those like, it seems like they're just updating them. I thought it was like a one-off, but I think they're still doing it and it's going through August 15th. So you got a little bit of time to do that. If, uh, if you're able, there's improvements to warp, uh, Warbands, Vote to Kick, I think I said that before, but that's what's going on with uh, with this thing. There's also Diablo Immortal tweeted, Victory is right around the corner. Receive increased drop rates for high-quality items in this week's dungeons. And it's a codex update featuring specific dungeons, Destruction's End, and Cavern of Echoes. You can get bonus set and legendary drops. This dungeon has an increased chance to drop legendary and set equipment held one plus difficulty this week. High quality items, set items may drop in higher difficulty dungeons and high quality items from increased chance to drop legendary equipment on normal difficulty. So even if you're playing on normal, which is where I'm probably going to be at for a while, uh, you can still get some stuff. There's also a Eurogamer article that was posted on August 8th, but I didn't find it until this week. And I guess it'd be part of this week anyway uh it's called blizzard battling diablo 4 leaks as character customization screens and more surface uh, this is written by tom phillips who is the deputy editor i'll read a little bit of this it, it does have a very close-up of lilith's very angry face which people keep using when we're talking about diablo 4 and i love it it just you know it just expresses things so well on its own, just the image. So the article says Blizzard is attempting to scrub the internet of Diablo 4 leaked footage and screenshots, which were posted over the weekend. Again, this was written on the 8th. It seems these stem from an ongoing friend and family beta version of the game, which is labeled as a private test build. Well, that's a problem. I think some people's friends and family aren't going to get into any more of these things after that. Images and video currently circulating show the game's screen title, character customization, and other initial options such as game creation and difficulty selection. Footage published to Twitter over the weekend is now offline but still sits on other social media services. I'm not going to tell you where those are. You can find them if you want. Um, as ever, it's worth bearing in mind that this is all work-in-progress stuff and subject to change before the release of the game. So there's that. Yeah, you know. Let's leak the thing that we got access to and never get access again. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, Jason Schreier writes for Bloomberg, and he's got a podcast, writes for other stuff too. He tweeted this in regards to what I just read. Another fun but minor Blizzard tidbit that I haven't seen reported anywhere yet. A bunch of people are playing an early build of Diablo 4 right now, thanks to a friends and family alpha test. Players are under NDA, but I'm hearing mostly positive buzz. So, um, you know, he thinks it's probably a fun game, and people are asking him questions beyond that. Except for, you know, the ones that are leaking it. I bet they're not real happy about it. 
In addition, I was watching Riker's video. I've watched a couple of them recently, and the one that I brought to the show here is about two new Diablo books that he feels bring, uh, you know, clues about when Diablo 4 might release, and it's a really good video. It's not that long. It's only about 17 minutes, and you can check it out because, again, everything will be in the show notes. But there's books here I didn't even know existed Really. Um, so the upcoming ones are going to be the Book of Lorath and the Legends of the Barbarian Bolkathos. And there's also uh, previously revealed Tales from the Herodric Library, which we heard about a while back and it had like this release date. But I used to work at a bookstore. The release date doesn't necessarily mean that's when it's coming out. But, you know, people believe it to be. <laughs> they expect to get it that day, you know. And there's also, you know, some other um, older stuff that I'd missed. One of them was a digital book. And there was another one um, that I think I missed out on entirely from look like Diablo 3 kind of. So if you're into all the books and stuff, which I am, <laughs> I really like that stuff. Watch the video and you'll at least know like what to look for when these actually do hit the shelves or the digital stuff or whatever. And lastly, we have Wowhead again that has um, two days ago posted an article titled Class Overviews for Diablo 4, Barbarian, Druid, Sorceress, Rogue, Necromancer. And there's a nice screenshot here of those classes sitting around the campfire like you would expect. And I guess recent news of Diablo 4's beta appearing on the Battle.net launcher. Diablo fans can expect to get their hands on a first test version of the game soon. So if you want any of these classes, they're just they're little boxes. If you just want to see the Barbarian, if you just want to see the Necromancer, whatever, you can just start there. There's some um, descriptions of skills and things like that. There's uh, possibly a video showing uh, something the rogue was doing, dismounts from horses or whatever. Um, it's not a lot there, but if you dig into it, I think there's a lot more. And that's really it for today. It, like I said, this was just a potpourri of all kinds of stuff and sort of fits together overall in, in some ways. So, you know, I mean, basically with all of these like conferences coming up again, just be real careful out there, people. Don't get yourself sick. Don't get other people sick. Don't bring it home to your loved ones. You know what I mean? It's just, it's dangerous. I'm saying that because I'm immune compromised and I know how dangerous this can be. So I'm going to end the show here. You have been listening to episode 372 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game, our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 are both named Shattered Soulstone. They're open to anyone who would like to join. I keep meaning to get back in there. Haven't gotten there yet. Uh, you can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.